Welcome to the podcast of Outpost Church in McLaren Vale. This week, we are hosting a discipleship training week, and our focus is the spiritual disciplines. And this is our second year of running the Discipleship Training Week, and we are pumped. It's our first year of offering the content from the DTW uh, on our podcast, and we hope that it's encouraging for you. We hope that it helps to equip you uh, to live a life of intimacy with Jesus Christ. So I just want to honour my mum, Peggy May for all of her good mothering and grandmothering. And tell you about these dolls. So our first two children had teddy bears because they were still a thing back in the day. And then later on after a big gap, we went again and dolls were the thing, you know, nurturing the human form was a big thing. So I made these dolls. Um, And when you look at these dolls, one's kind of more appealing than the other. One's a bit messy. And one's sort of, you know, neater. And I guess I'm saying life's like that. And often things aren't as they seem. So this doll actually is my favourite because it has a lot of happy memories. So this is Max. Max's doll. Our oldest had Teddy's. Luke had Ted Ned. And Amy had Sheddy. She named it before she could say the sound. And this was Dolly, who grew up with Max. Doesn't even have the bell left in its hat. You can see it's been washed a lot, very faded, lots of darning. Very well used Dolly. And this Dolly was for Gloria Joy, who's fast-tracked to heaven. And she sat there for a lot of years with a lot of other memories, looking neat. But is now a bit dirty because a lot of my grandchildren play with her. So... And her name is Gloria Joy to bring glory to God and joy out of sorrow. And she has Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Down to verse 7. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. And this is my study Bible, so the notes say. Two words describe faith sure and certain. These two qualities need a secure beginning and an ending point. The beginning point of faith is believing in God's character. He is who he says he is. The end point is believing in God's promises. He will do what he says. And when we believe that God will fulfill his promises, even though we don't see those promises materialising yet, we demonstrate true faith. Footnotes down to verse 6. Believing that God exists is the only the beginning. Even the demons believe that much. God will not settle for mere acknowledgement of his existence. 
He wants a personal dynamic relationship with you that will transform your life. Those who seek God will find that they are rewarded in his intimate presence. Noah experienced rejection because he was different from his neighbours and God commanded him to build a huge boat in the middle of dry land and although God's command seemed foolish, Noah obeyed. Noah's obedience made him appear strange to his neighbours just as the new beliefs of Jewish Christians undoubtedly made them stand out. As you obey God, don't be surprised if others regard you as different. Your obedience makes their disobedience stand out. Remember, if God asks you to do something, he will give you the necessary strength to carry out that task. Faith in action in motherhood and family therapy is what I'm going to share with you about. I believe that faith is believing in God's goodness and taking his word as truth right now. We can sort out our best theology and it's a good thing. Love Chad's talk and it's got me thirsty to do that some more. But I've been reflecting over the last few weeks about what anchors that faith for me in uncertainty and in challenges. When my boat's tossed on stormy seas and my faith is tested, how can I be sure? And my anchors, I've left some pages on for you to look at later and you can have a look at what might be some anchors for you, but my three anchors are that God is who he says he is. And for me, out of those lists, My homing place is to come back believing that God is kind. God is kind even when my baby dies and goes to heaven. God is kind. It doesn't always feel like it, but I believe that God is kind. That's one of my anchors. He's loving and he's slow to anger. He's all-powerful and all-knowing. He's present all the time and he's closer than breathing. My second anchor is that we are who God says we are. We are his beloved. I am his beloved and he is mine. There's no more intimate relationship. I am his friend. You are his friend. We're his children. And the third anchor is that God can do what he says he will do. So many promises in the Bible to hold on to. I wonder which ones are your homing place. My two. Just always breathe in that God can use everything together for our good and his glory, even the hardest thing, even evil, and that nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love. So faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we can't see. It's kind of a bit like that when God makes a baby. Now, I know how babies are made, but God makes the baby. We just heard about that. And he gives the baby to us for nurture and the hope of, you know, uncertain things, unseen things is that we will help them to develop into godly adulthood. Sometimes the plan is different. But I am certain because God gave me a vision of our little girl, Gloria Joy, in heaven. So I'm even certain about that. And I can't see it, though God gave me a vision because he knows I'm visual and that would help me to keep hope. 
So I can't see my baby as a grown-up and I'm uncertain that I can parent effectively. All those years when my baby, that my baby lives through, I can't be certain that I'm going to parent effectively, but it's hoped for. And daily at times it felt like I was on a merry-go-round of constant chores, exhausting, thankless work. But in the midst of that, when I remembered that we and our children are God's beloved and God is about his sovereign plans to bring us good and him glory, then it actually made the daily grind sacred work. It even helps to have patient perseverance with our teens. Max's first job was as a paper boy. And I remember one day walking along the main street with an old second-hand trolley I'd got with all the papers being carted behind and Max had shot off with the next ten, you know, to put in letterboxes. And um, I remember someone going past that I, I'd known long-term but didn't know me very well. And um, I remember their face dropped and it was like a look of pity, like, oh, poor Jill, like, she's reduced to being like a bag lady, <laughs> you know, doing catalogues. And there was a little bit of a... And then I heard God just breathe you know, and say into my head, you are building a godly man, you're teaching Max to be a godly man and, you know, and I just triumphantly went on my way down the main street, you know, with my rusty old trolley of newspapers and just that God is a bigger picture God and when we remember, when we, you know, all of us in various capacities doing those daily menial tasks that God's a bigger picture God, yeah. So it helped me to remember that I was building um, godly men and women. I've been actively mothering since I was 21 and I'm 60 now and I'm still mothering. Our youngest is still at home and I'm an intentional grandmother of six little darlings. It is quite counterculture to value mothering in the West. You ask any mum if she feels our culture affirms and values her. Any mum that's at home full-time does our culture value her and affirm her? Luke eighteen sixteen. Jesus said, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. The kingdom of God belongs to those like these. There are warnings that to harm a child has great consequences. A millstone around the neck and thrown into the sea. Serious stuff. Children matter to God and they should matter greatly to us. Jesus had plenty of other things calling his name too, but he made children a priority in a culture that did not. Jesus blessed the children. I've learned through my faith journey, especially in my main calling as wife and mum and homemaker, it's a higher calling to make time for children and bless them. Our own children and other people's children. One of my good friends this year, young woman, has set aside a day a week to be with a young mum who's got little ones already and is pregnant again and struggling. And even though this young woman's got so many other things to do, paid work and study and relationships, she's laid aside a day a week just to be with that mum which our culture, again, probably would not really see as very valuable. Um, but she's actually helping to raise godly men and women. And I admire her very much for it. 
let the children come, Jesus said. I've heard it said that housework is only noticed when it's not done. Have a little think about it. It could be said about motherhood too. I've seen the effects when mothering is absent. I was raised as a missionary kid in Arnhem Land with an island full of children that the government took from their mothers and eight to ten children per cottage. God bless those single women who cared for them. I've worked as a child parent worker in women's health as a school chaplain and family therapist for second story youth with children and struggling families. And we've foster cared children as a family and I've worked in the Department of Child Protection Houses. So I have seen firsthand the devastating effects when a child is not nurtured well. To nurture a child. What a responsibility. What a privilege. And it certainly takes courage and faith and God's help. Many of you have heard the saying that it takes a village to raise a child. I thought about this a lot because I've always gone, yeah, yeah, I'd really like to be, you know, in that village and la, 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 la. And, I, and then I started researching motherhood and looking culturally. And we often only look at very modern history. But it's not that long ago that people were living in villages or, you know, in teepees around the fire or whatever. And all of the women were mothers or aunties or grandmothers and they did the task together. Like, I don't believe that it was ever meant to be in isolation. And... Um, yeah, I think we have to get a village mentality again towards children and towards uh, mothering and parenting. Children do need to know loving community and to be known. We all do. It's presented, mothering, homemaking, being a wife, as an unideal vocation. It's belittled and minimised. And yet, even our culture puts a lot of pressure on mums to perform. You have the Pinterest perfect parties, the Instagram family holidays. Everyone looks perfectly happy. I reckon some of our family holidays we could have given Chevy Chase some ideas for his scripts, for his comedy movies. Um, you've got stars leaving hospital three days after a baby in their skinny jeans. Like as if these are the most important things to post and live up to. But instead of valuing mothering as relationship and connection and nurturing another, our culture idealises motherhood. So I looked up to idealise and it means to represent to other people as being perfect, not what it really is. It's important, but we're not perfect at it. It's to attribute unrealistic expectations. So I've learnt that through trusting God and walking by faith through my own unique and messy mothering journey, I've come to realise that when we accept messages from external sources about things that millions of women experience in different ways across the globe, as though there's one right way to mother, this causes competition and comparison whose fruits are pride and guilt and shame. And often, sadly, a sense of low self-esteem about being a parent. And on my faith journey, I've learned instead of reducing this complex, important experience of mothering to an ideal, it's time to view motherhood as a relationship and not as a role. 
to listen to who God says we are and who our children are, who he is and what he says he can do, no matter how messy it gets. Trusting that he is writing his story through our stories. And as we know, many of the Bible characters were just as messy as us. A role is prescripted, pre-planned. You play a role. But it doesn't describe who you really are. A relationship allows you and others to be your authentic self and it takes into account the complexities of everyday life. So instead of building into unattainable standards of being a great mum, let's redefine good parenting as the quality of connection or attachment between a parent and a child or an adult and a child. Does my child feel known, seen and appreciated? Do the children in my life feel known, seen and appreciated? It's more important than a house and garden house. What people need is healthy, loving connection. Big people and little people. Our children will remember more and the children in our world will remember more how they felt, the connection, not the decor of the home. We big people can soul care for ourselves so that we can nurture the little people in our world. So parenting is very valuable. It's valuing someone as precious and significant. I wrote down the things, what does it mean to me and how has God revealed this to me on my faith journey. It's raising thoughtful, responsible, God-centred humans. But it shouldn't be idealised and put on a pedestal that's easy to fall off. It is true that it takes a village to raise a child well. And if you want to value motherhood or the nurturing of children, instead of idealising it, I challenge you to engage yourself in the work of nurturing other human beings and supporting those who do. The children are the church of tomorrow. When we highly value something, we want to be a part of it. When we highly value something, we want to be a part of it. Everyone can find their part in being a safe village around children and those nurturing them on the front line. I haven't got time to share all of these, but I've got lots of Bible verses if you want any on this. So I set myself on this Bible study about mothering. Thank you, Christy, for asking me to do this because it's really got me back into this. Um, In Titus 2, 4 to 5, it says... um, It tells us to love our children and the original Greek word in this verse means to nurture, affectionately, embrace, meet their needs, tenderly befriend each one as a unique gift from God. There are other commands to parents, availability, morning, noon and night. Involvement, interacting, discussing, thinking, processing life together. These are all got Bible verses near them, not making this stuff up. Training, helping develop skills and discover their strengths and their spiritual gifts. Discipline, to teach respect for God's way. Drawing the line, consistency, being loving and firm. To nurture, constant verbal support. Freedom to fail is part of nurture. Acceptance, affection, unconditional love. 
and modelling with integrity, living what you say and being a model from which a child can learn by catching the essence of godly living. Could it be that we are all called to be available, involved, help others discover strengths, nurture and model with integrity? It's what God's been teaching me in 40 years of mothering. Sometimes I'm a slow learner and other times I'm like, whoa, thanks for that, God. That makes sense of this. So, yes, here's some of the things on my faith journey that I've come to really believe about mothering. That children don't need a super mum or a super dad. They need a loving parent relying on a super God and introducing them to God so they can learn to rely on him. Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may be through someone that you nurture and raise. Mothering is the gospel lived out daily. As you hold your children's hands and when they can let it go, you keep your hand near for them to hold again when they choose to, no matter how old they get. Do small things with great love is one of the signs that I've got up in my house to keep reminding me. my treasured possessions she's very wobbly and a bit marked and a bit like me (laughs) when I had my first two little children I was very sick for a long time in hospital and one of the things that I used to be able to do was go to a craft room and I made this little house mouse because I'd been you know working out there and juggling work and motherhood and And I got to the point where I just thought, God, if I can just get back home to be mothering my kids, you know, I'll be happy. So my own humour with myself and God was to paint this little house mouse with her dustpan and broom. And I won't play you the music at the moment, but I thought, oh, Lord, what music can I put in there? And they didn't have, this is how I fight my battles back in the day. (laughs) And certainly not in music box (laughs) availability. So it's dream the impossible dream in the little house mouse. And I think that kind of encapsulates God when he entrusts us in a parenting role or a nurturing role or lots of the roles that we've been hearing about that he's saying, dream the impossible dream. You know, it's possible with me, all things are possible. And, and even though, you know, it's back to sweeping floors and doing those things daily, the things that only get noticed when they're not done and mostly they get undone, um, every day, and you do them all again. Um, I've been reflect. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> and reflecting now, I, I was wondering, just humorously, I wonder how many times. There's no way of working it out. How many times I've swept a floor? I wonder how many times I've made a meal. I wonder how many loads of washing I've actually done. It's like in the daily, dream the impossible dream. This, you know, often. Those things just get undone. You're not building something that stays there or whatever, but you are building children, you know, godly children. C.S. Lewis said, children are not a distraction from more important work. They are the most important work. And yet it seems most of what we do gets undone. No pay, little status, little affirmation. So, though I was sad when I read this quote, I nearly dismissed it and I just pondered it. Behind every great kid is a mum who's pretty sure she's screwing it up. 
And I realised when I think particularly a lot of Christian mums, sadly, it's true. And I reflected that it's probably because of the Proverbs 31 woman being idealised. So it was interesting to hear Chad's take on that and we've got more food on how to reflect about that. But I wrote this before that and these were my reflections. She has great attributes to aspire to and I have aspired to those attributes over the years. But maybe she achieved all of those things over time, not every day. And maybe she had different gifting to some other women. So let's pick up some of her good attitudes, but in really reflecting, I've come to believe that I think Proverbs 31 is in the Bible as an affirmation of godly women. It's affirming being a mum and a wife and a homemaker. It's not a measuring stick to whack ourselves over the head with when we don't live up to other people's expectations. But it was put in the Bible at a time when women were not even valued. So it's an affirmation. It's acknowledging how important homemaking is. And even in the context that Chad was teaching, you know, of what to look for in a woman. I love the saying that there is nothing to prove and only one to please. And that's God. And if I remember my anchors, that God is who he says he is, that he's loving and kind and powerful and slow to anger with me, and I remember that I'm his beloved and I'm his child and I'm his friend, and that he can do, use everything together for good and that nothing can separate me from his love, then I can breathe out and remember as I love God and serve my family or Sunday school or wherever we're called to serve children, that even on the hardest days when we seem to achieve little, that there's no condemnation in Christ for us and it's often because we're trying too hard to do too much and prove ourselves to others that we get overloaded and downcast. So let's value mothering and nurturing of children. Do you know the story about St Paul's Cathedral being built? There was a There's a great story, I'm glad I heard it quite early in my life, about a um, guy that's going around and interviewing the people that are building the cathedral. And he interviews one man and he goes, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, I'm just a bricklayer. You know, it's just brick after brick after brick. Same old thing every day. And he goes around the other side of the building, it's a true story, and he interviews another fella. And he says, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm... I am helping to build the most beautiful cathedral in the world. Both bricklayers. So our mindset makes a big difference, doesn't it? In the ordinary everyday things, God has a bigger story going on. That it's his story that we are a part of. So 1 Corinthians 13 says that love is kind and patient and gentle. But it also says that that love protects and it delights in the truth and it's true in all of our relationships that we need to be interested in others to listen and nurture and have integrity rather than be ready to spout our idealism and our theology 
Theology's got its place. I love it. I'm one of those people that loves to sit around and talk about theology. But in relationship, not in role, not pressuring my beliefs on others or trying to make others feel like they have to be perfect. Can I trust God is about his business? Can I be slowed down and can I really listen? Can I be interruptible? These are the things that, you know, God has taken a long time to teach me. They seem really simple, but practising those things in mothering and in nurturing relationships. We're just going to watch a little two-minute cartoon on empathy, which kind of sums up what I'm saying. transferable to nurture in all sorts of relationships and it's been such a privilege to get alongside young mums as well because I also had um, late life babies. Um, God put me as an older mum amongst younger mums and um, the friendships that were formed there and just the encouragement that I was able to give and I just love that. I love being around and and I love watching my daughter and daughter-in-law nurturing our six grandchildren and getting alongside them and watching how much they're enjoying that. But this is the segue to now the other thing that I do. So I was a counsellor for many years, but then God really moved me to do Christian family therapy um, training because it's looking at us, you know, within the whole picture of our family. Um, Again, looking at our family trees and but daring to look at the hard stuff like there was for a lot of the Bible characters and forgiving that, you know, the, the truth of forgiveness that Chad was teaching us about, the truth of what it is and what it isn't and um, claiming the good stuff and honouring the good stuff and honouring other people's stories within our family that they've done the best they can with their pain and knowledge as well but going, God, I want to interrupt some of these patterns. I can only do it with you. But by daring to look at this, I can interrupt some of these patterns so that my family tree may be more in line with your will. So I just want to say thank you to Michelle Pfeiffer for this humour. She said, Like all parents, my husband and I just do the best we can and hold our breath and hope we set aside enough money to pay for our kids' therapy. (laughs) And there's another funny little story I found about a child who went to their mother and said, Mum, you know, where do people come from? And Mum gave the Adam and Eve spiel and said, you know, we all come from Adam and Eve. And then she went to her dad and she said, Dad, you know, where, where do we come from? And he said, well, you know, there were monkeys and then, you know, we all came from the monkeys and... The child went back to mum and said, Mum, I'm confused. You've told me about Adam and Eve and Dad's told me about the monkeys. And she said, well, that's because I've told you about my side of the family and Dad's told you about his side. (laughs) Sorry, fellas. (laughs) So, yeah, my faith journey then had led me into training as a Christian family therapist um, because family matters especially when there's hurt in family. It matters for us to get alongside and to help each other and to nurture each other. I like the saying that home is where your journey begins. It's true. 
I believe God is writing his story through our stories. So in family therapy, we first look at genograms. Here's little baby me. So I'll very quickly show you a little bit of what we do to start. Sorry if you can't see. So say this is me, because it's my genogram, I put that around. So this is me as a baby, I've got a mum and a dad. So dad, mum, of course they have mums and dads, and siblings. And they've inherited their family story from there. So I've inherited all of that stuff, like the Bible says, you know, the sins of the fathers are passed down. Good stuff too. But we think we're so individual, especially in the West. So I had um, older sister, older brother, younger brother who, of course, you draw it and they've now, because of my age, I can say, well, they've all got partners and children. And so have I. And my brother. So we start looking at relationship lines from when you were under 12 to over 12. Because often in the teenage years, relationships can shift a bit. And we start to look at that and people start to tell me their family story. And it's amazing what then comes out. So rather than coming in at, for counselling with a problem, you start to see and understand the person in the context of their story, their sacred story and honour that story and the other stories come out. Um, so this would have been my genogram. Well, I, I was a baby without these marriage lines. And then there's me now. So I'm kind of in the middle of a genogram. And so now we would go down here and there would be, you know, all of this stuff. And all the little ones. When I'm working with someone... Sometimes I tell them and sometimes I don't, depending on what God's doing and where they're at with God. I wish I had a yellow texter. But I always am thinking about God in this story and that he is radiating out into all of this story, all of the history, because it's his story through our story. And there's, there's grace in all of that. So understanding our story in this way, in a therapeutic context, is about more consciously interrupting generational patterns. It's about taking the good. It's about accepting the difficult, if God is sovereign. If God is kind and loving and all-powerful and slow to anger, and if we are his beloved, well, then how come, if you go through my genogram, there's a few dead babies around, you know, is God really loving? 
well, I believe he is. You know, I can choose to believe that he is who he says he is. And he's got a bigger story going on. And he can help us to accept and to forgive, but also to trust him that he's working all things together for good, even grief. So we do a bit of work on looking at guilt and shame and anger. It's really interesting that Chad was teaching about shame. I love the way he dealt with those Bible stories yesterday because I think that they're the three big hooks that the deceiver gets us with, shame and guilt and anger. And that's where he can come in and lie. And so we look at God's truths of what he's saying about that through his promises. Um, I was thinking the other day it would be interesting to do Joseph's genogram. You know, some of the relationship lines would have changed once they threw him in the pit if we were to sit around and talk about that. Um, And how Joseph still allowed God's story to work out through him. That um, And we can do, you know, ask God for the grace to do the same. That, you know, he was probably in jail for a long time. I don't know, Shane, do, do we know how long he was in jail? But it probably wasn't a day or two from the way the story goes. And through no fault of his own. In fact, it was he'd done the honorary thing and he was still thrown into jail. So because he kept in line with what God, you know, what God had taught was him was the right thing to do, God was still able to work through his story and... That's part of what we look at through this kind of work. So when we're finished, Shane's going to play the song um, from the story collection of music um, about Joseph. But the the lines that stood out for me were, I'm not my family tree. And at first I balked. It's like, oh, am I allowed to sort of say that? Shouldn't I just be thankful for everything? Um, But it's not... If you listen to the whole song, it's not ditching your family tree. It's not dishonouring. But it is true that, you know, you look on this down here and I'm a different branch to my parents. But we all come from this trunk. And so it says, I'm not my family tree. These are different leaves, you know, which is interesting that mum's done these different leaves way before I knew this song. And he talks about he stepped out on a limb that he thought might break, but love stepped in and it would only bend. And then the chorus talks about there being mercy in the soil and mercy in the sun, learning to forgive what cannot be undone, but also taking what's good. So it sort of gives permission to think about it in a way that's um, real. Again, we're not idealising, we're being real about Um, our stories with God he knows anyway he was with us they're not perfect and I am not a perfect mother I have these I bought these when I came out of hospital to represent my Luke and Amy my little boy and little girl they actually fell the other day and they broke but I've got the bits but I thought well yeah I wasn't a perfect mum there's probably a few broken bits in there God's story through them and then later little Maxie boy came along when they were 18 and 14, um, very much planned after I'd been unwell. So I'm a very visual person and these things um, have meant a lot to me as outward symbols. The little girl in the music there, she's, she also fell and her legs broke off the other day. But I thought, oh, well, that's kind of how I was as a kid. And um, the music in that is, be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. And it's true, you know, if we can build a home hub for our children and other people 
Um, it's a beautiful thing. So through my own messy journey and increasing faith as God has met me, it isn't about having a perfect story. It's about having faith in God's story that it's unfolding in us and through us as we learn to trust that God is who he says he is. I'm who God says I am, not who the world says I am or who any broken relationships or hurts or whatever say I am. I'm who God says I am and God can do um, what he's doing. He is doing it and we can be a part of it and um, he can use even the worst thing. We can breathe out and relax. Look at Joseph's story. He can take the worst evil and turn it for his glory but also in the process our good um, there's a lun lunic cartoon that I love and if anyone frequents the toilet at our place they will see it's splashed not from the toilet but from the hand basin and it's, he's, can you see him, he's like picking up a rock that's bigger than himself so that's pretty hard work and he's looking for the truth. It says in order to be truthful we must do more than speak the truth. We must also hear the truth. So Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, isn't he? So if we're really searching for the truth, we'll find Jesus. If people are really searching, they'll find Jesus. We must also receive the truth and act upon the truth and search for the truth, the difficult truth within us and around us. You know, Some of us are continuing on with some of our theological conversations. It's great. We're looking for God's truth in some of those more minor things as well. So the difficult truth that is within us and around us, we must devote ourselves to truth, to Christ's way. Otherwise, we're dishonest and our lives are mistaken. God grant us the strength and the courage to be truthful. Christy asked me, how do I naturally start conversations and share the love of God with people? And I thought about it and I thought, well, I relate to people knowing that they have a bigger story. Everyone has a bigger story and that they're part of God's story. Whether at the checkout and they're really annoying or not, they are a precious person who has a story and they might have probably a good reason to that they've got some annoying behaviours. And if we did this with them, we'd have a lot of compassion. So through empathy and nurture, God opens doors. Good eye contact with people. Like it's often the profound things are so simple, aren't they? When you think, oh, what is it that helps me to relate to people? Oh, good eye contact? Oh, duh. Like, but how often do we really do it? Speaking in an uplifting and an affirming way. Sharing stories. We heard this morning about the power of our own stories, our own testimonies. That's what I've got a right to share. That's got a, what I've got a right to talk about. And to be interruptible big one. I love theological conversations in the right context but I don't think it's for me to press my beliefs and ideals onto people to be in a role where I feel I have to be doing that but to be in a relationship to be Jesus hands and feet especially in the foot washing work especially with the least and God will open the way because people will ask where does our hope come from in some form or another when we're nurturing others? And I need to remember what God's already done and express my gratitude about his faithfulness through my own story. I need to slow down and schedule solitude for myself 
So I've been talking to you about mothering and nurturing children. So if God is our father and we are his child and life is about relationships, not roles, then maybe we can relax some more and not try so hard. Psalm 131 says, I can compose and quiet my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother's chest. Be still and know God. Be certain of what I can't see and sure of the things to come. And for me, especially Jesus returning to make all things new. I've got a friend who I met. We moved to Adelaide, not originally from Adelaide, moved over here when I was pregnant with our first. I was a bit of a hippie in a sarong and I turned up at tennis and my husband played with these friends, Jane and Paul Moran. And um, Jane, we lived at Christie's in a little flat behind the uh, on the Esplanade behind a house. And Jane and I used to walk every morning once our first was born and then she was pregnant with her fifth and went on to have a sixth. And she's kind of been informally like a mothering mentor to me over the years. And she just dropped in the other day. She didn't know I was doing this talk, but she was saying, oh, I love this saying. And it says some other stuff at the front, but I thought I'd share it with you because we had a good belly laugh. It's by Sir William Golding. So I'm not reading the first bit because I actually don't agree with the first bit at all, but goes on to say, so it's basically saying, you know, that women are responders, like Christy said at the relationship talk the other night, and they'll respond to what you give them. So it says, whatever you give a woman, she will make it greater. If you give her sperm, she will give you a baby. If you give her a house, she will make it a home. If you give her groceries, she will make you a meal. If you give her a smile, she will give you her heart. She multiplies and enlarges what is given to her. So, if you give her any crap, be ready to receive a ton of shivers. <laughs> so, basically, I think women are responders and, yes, we all have to be responsible for our responses and so forth. But I think there's something there in the nature of the way God's made us, you know, I can't speak about fathering. I do believe in parenting and nurturing of all people, but I was asked to speak about mothering. And yeah, I just think there's some truth in that humour. But I'll finish with something a little bit more holy. <laughs> Father, to thee, we raise our whole being, a vessel emptied of self. Accept, Lord, this our emptiness, and so fill us with yourself, with your light and your love and your life, that these precious gifts may radiate through us and overflow the chalice of our hearts into the hearts of all with whom we come in contact this day and in the days to come revealing to them the beauty of your joy and wholeness and the serenity of your peace, which nothing can destroy. Amen. For the two blokes in the room, well, you're a bloke too, but yeah, this is more for the younger blokes. Maybe I'll let him hand out first. Mick can focus. 
Tell me, Sean. Thanks, Nick. Uh, my encouragement for particularly the two young blokes in the room is um, the, world, the world would say that men need to be strong, you know, bringing in the dollars, looking at, you know, not showing any weakness. Um, and, and before I was a dad... I, even in the context of a church family, I didn't see my role in uh, connecting with children um, as important. I kind of just, you know, there's some families in the church, um, you know, I'm sure they just want to, you know, look after their children. I won't get in the way of that. Um, But my encouragement for you guys is to really lean into the gentleness um, that God gives us as men. Sure, he... he, um, uh, we have a role in in the spiritual climate of our home as 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 we're um, in a in a marriage and in a family, um, but there's a gentleness that God gives us in our soul for children, and there is such value in your in your church community in actually even if you don't feel like you like children and that they're a bit weird, um, because that's kind of what I thought before I had kids. Um, there is a real gentleness in just starting to lean into the. Uh, there's a real value in the leaning into the gentleness that God gives for children and just starting to take time to relate to the children in your church community because there's nothing more valuable than, like, as I get to church, I've got my two girls there. It, it, it might have been a great successful journey to church or it might have been a real struggle just to get them in the door. To have a family around you as, as a church family that actually... You know, high fives the kids on the way in, just loves the children in, in, around you, even if it's not your natural inclination. As you lean into that, you will, I mean, it applies for the women in the room too, but I think your tendency is a little bit more to do that. And for the guys, it's like, oh, should I get, should I get involved in, like, should I be interacting with that? Should I hold that baby? Should I, you know, and that might be a bit un- uncomfortable at the start, but actually lean into that and, and just... You learn so much from interacting with children, from um, just looking into the eyes of a, you know, six-month-old baby. But also, you're actually helping the parents, actually taking the weight off, allowing them to have some conversations, some deep conversations with other people in the church that actually allow them to grow. Instead of feeling that the whole time they're in church, they're trying to keep these couple of rat bags um, under control. And that's what it feels like sometimes. So just my encouragement for you guys, for, for anyone, just invest in the young families, particularly the young families in your church communities. Take the weight off and just love on their children as much as you can because the children love it. The children see really good examples of a gentle male figure in their lives um, that actually shows love and care and is happy to swoop them up and just... You know, it's the strength that is shown in, in gentleness um, as we're willing to be vulnerable um, with children. So.